Hello and welcome to Empire Sports Talk. I am your host, Roman Gennaro. It's been a couple weeks, so let's jump right into the action. The NBA playoffs, and the NHL playoffs for that matter, are in full swing. Not only that, but the NBA Finals have started. The Celtics took Game 1 against the Warriors with an epic comeback in the fourth quarter. But... Before I get to the finals themselves, I want to talk about how personally I've been a little disappointed in how the the NBA playoffs have gone up to this point. With with the exception, I guess you could say, of the fourth quarter of the first, of game one, which you could argue is part of the problem. The NBA playoffs have been full of blowouts. And even in some of the games where the final score was close... That was a result of one team being up by a lot and then falling apart, which you could argue happened to Golden State in Game 1 because much of the time they were up by 7, 8, 10. And then the Celtics took full control in the fourth quarter and won Game 1. But even looking back in, in at the Celtics' previous matchup against the Heat, the Heat won one a game big, and then the Celtics won big, and then the Heat won big, Celtics won big, and the, for the large part, the Warriors blew out the Mavericks, and so many games that were, that were blowouts, and not even fun to watch, and I think with, with all the conversation in the last few years of parody in the NBA, we really need to look at not just the, that situation, but also the fact that we don't have enough variety in the league as far as how teams play you know leagues go through go, go through eras where where one type of play is predominant the long ball era in baseball the 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 physical era of the nba and now we're seeing the the mobility era in the nfl with a lot of dual threat quarterbacks and um but right now in the nba thanks to the incredible talent of players like steph curry damian lillard and trey young every nba team is solely focused on shooting and it's become a finesse league and now every team does that but the problem with that is when you don't when you don't drive to the rim when you don't get physical when you launch threes and you get in a situation where one team's making them and one team's not. It beca- it it is it's it's not interesting to watch. All these blowouts, all these things. There's not enough. There's not enough variety in play styles, in my opinion, to counteract if one team gets off to a hot start or if or or if one team starts slow, because then you end up with situations like these playoffs up to this point where it's just not really been that interesting to watch. Um, we, we know the NBA is, is, is a game of runs. Basketball is a game of runs. One team goes on a 12 to four run. One team goes on a five, nothing run, so on and so forth. But game to game, this is getting out of control. Hopefully these finals, um, stifle that a little bit because it's been, it's been, tough to watch. The NHL on the other hand, I know it's not the biggest the biggest sport for people to watch, the most entertaining thing, but if you if if you watch it and give it a shot like I did, man, man, I wouldn't say I'm anything more than a casual hockey fan, but 
these playoffs have been fantastic. Every time I turn around, there was an overtime game. Every single time. I think I think the the what well, what was it? The Pittsburgh and the Rangers. The, uh, the the Pittsburgh series against the Rangers. I think four of those games alone went to overtime, and then the Rangers had a couple more overtime games, and we've had some high-scoring games, and we've had some some tense games. Uh, one of those games with, with with the Penguins and Rangers was a situation where the, the 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 first two goalies weren't available, and the third string goalie had to come out of the locker room where he was just hanging out. He wasn't even dressed or on the ice. He he was hanging out in the locker room and had just eaten his dinner. He didn't think he was going to play, and he ends up being the hero of that game as 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 Pittsburgh would go on to win in three overtimes. So so these NHL playoffs have been absolutely excellent, and I look forward to as the as the Stanley Cup playoffs are down to four teams: the Rangers, the Lightning, the Avalanche, and the Oilers. With the Rangers and Avalanche respectively leading those series, so we'll see how that goes. Before I jump more into the NBA Finals, can we stop the CP3 slander for for for, for their Game Seven loss against the Mavericks? Look, it's very obvious that they played poorly. Devin Booker shot 3 of 14. Chris Paul, 4 of 8. Mikael Bridges, 3 of 11. We, like, that makes sense. They did not play well. That game was never competitive. But just this time a year ago, when Chris Paul was leading the Suns to the finals, we were talking about... If he wins a championship, he's a top five point guard of all time. And that's not that big of a stretch to say that CP3 is a top five point guard of all time. Uh, for me, I don't know. I'd have to think about that ranking personally for, for my personal taste. But I'd feel comfortable putting him at five or six all time for point guards. Off the top of my head. I'll, I'll, I'll give my actual list on this on this podcast sometimes, but... Chris Paul already is easily a top 10 point guard of all time. He wins a championship. We, we were talking top five. But the thing is, with the advent of social media and and 24-hour coverage and every game being on television, blah, 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 we've become so reactionary as a sports society where just a year ago we were talking about where Chris Paul sits all time giving him a lot of praise for what he's done in Phoenix with where they went from the worst team in the NBA to the finals in two years, in large part to Devin Booker and Chris Paul. But now they play one bad game, or you could call it a couple bad games in the series against the Mavericks because they had a 2-0 lead, whatever. They play one bad game, and everybody's putting all the blame squarely on Chris Paul. Look, he didn't play well. We get it. He had the worst plus-minus of his career at minus 39. We get it. He had five points, whatever. Or, sorry, ten points. He had ten points. That's not good. That's we're, There's no denying that was not a good performance. But before we blame Chris Paul entirely, because that's what I've heard a lot of, before we blame Chris Paul entirely, can we talk about just how dang good the Mavericks were? Sure, they got boat raced by, by Golden State in the conference finals, but that's because the big three are back. Let's be honest. That's because the big three are back. And as good as the Mavericks are, 
they're still a couple pieces away from 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 getting to that next step. But looking at that game seven, Doncic and Brunson alone combined for fifty four. Can we can we take a step back from the Chris Paul slander and remember just how good Luka Doncic is? We're already talking about him as possibly like the the face of the NBA once once LeBron retires, but. Jalen Brunson has has come out of nowhere to become a great player for them as well. Like that's fifty nine between two players in a game seven. That that is as clutch as it gets. The game was not close. It was thirty three points. F- Phoenix was never in it. That's true. But we can't blame Chris Paul. We we heard all the talk about. Oh, Luka Doncic had more points than Booker, more assists than Chris Paul, more steals than Bridges, more rebounds than Aiton. That is a plus. That is praise for Luka Doncic. That is not slander against this Phoenix Suns team. Despite this game, after two games in this series, going all the way back to the start of the year, up until game three of the series... We were convinced Phoenix was the best team in the NBA, and I still believe, on paper, they are. Thing, things don't always shake out where the best team ends up ends up at the end. That doesn't always happen. Where the best team on paper, the best team in the season, ends up at the end. Because I believe that if things had gone Phoenix's way against Dallas, Phoenix could have beaten... Golden State, because Phoenix can shoot. They 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 can hang with they can hang with uh, Golden State from the three, which almost nobody can do. They can shoot the mid range, which no which nobody does in the NBA anymore. They can play defense. They can pass. They can defend. They have size. I they're they're one of the more physical teams in the NBA in an era where it's all finesse. So I think they just got, they they just ran into some bad luck. They ran out of steam, whatever you want to call it, or else we'd be talking about the Celtics and the Suns in the finals. In in my opinion, the things didn't go right for the team. DeAndre Ayton was benched at some point in in the fourth quarter for unknown reasons. Booker didn't shoot well. Bridges didn't shoot well. Turnovers. There there was no real there was no real spark for that entire team so it was an entire team problem just a week before that loss we were talking about monty williams for coach of the year and all of a sudden the team gets ousted and oh no it's all chris paul's fault look chris paul has only been to the finals once and it was last year he's gotten close several times with the clippers but every time that happened he never got the blame who did we blame doc rivers who still gets blamed for early exits by Philly. So in one situation, a Chris Paul team gets ousted because of because they get outplayed, and it's the coach's fault. In another situation, a, a, a team gets outplayed that Chris Paul is on, and it's Chris Paul's fault. I think we are so eager as a society to, to tear down people we view as greats I mean, look at all the look at all the slander LeBron James has has incurred, incurred. A lot of it, some of it's been warranted, but because he because he's approaching, and for some people have already surpassed for some, Michael Jordan, 
we throw everything at him. For me, he's still not there. But for a lot, he has already passed Michael Jordan, and for some, he's getting close, and that makes us nervous uh, because there's there's a nostalgia surge in in um, in the country right now. So sometimes we have to step back and realize that even though we sometimes romanticize the past, that we're watching greatness in front of us and stop just tearing them down. I don't think this loss was Chris Paul's fault. Did he help? No, nobody helped. That that game was one-sided from start to finish. But that sometimes that's just the way it goes. So can we please stop the Chris Paul slander? Because I do believe he's one of the best at his position we've ever seen in the NBA. I, for one, hope that before he decides to call it quits, he gets that trophy. Because he's shown the leadership. He's shown the consistency. He's shown the ability as an all-time great. And I really hate that this slander against Chris Paul is coming out of nowhere because his team had one bad game in a clutch situation. The game was not Chris Paul's fault. Nothing worked for the whole team. And that's just the way it worked. But also, Luka Doncic is really good. Let's not forget that. Back to the finals. I think, and one of the reasons why I was hoping and thought that Phoenix would would come out of the West is because we didn't know who would come out of the East. The East was wide open. The Heat were good. The the Sixers were good. The Celtics were good. We didn't know who was going to come out of of the East. And what I heard a lot this week before the finals started was that the Warriors and the Celtics were very much the same team. And I, I, I heard some commentary where it was like, uh, there's nothing the Seas can do that, that the Warriors can't do better. And to some extent, that's true. But I do believe that there is one, you could call it two, but one, let's say one and a half areas where the Celtics are going to win this series. And I think we saw a little bit of that in in their Game 1 comeback, and I think that was a large reason why they did come back in Game 1. Nobody can outshoot the Golden State Warriors. The Golden State Warriors are responsible for the era, this era in the NBA of finesse and shooting and three-pointers. They're responsible for that. It's their game. You're not going to beat them at their game, even if they inspired it. It's not going to happen. And that's why we saw that's why we saw Golden State jump out to an early lead and stay there for most of game one is because they were playing their game as they do, but the Celtics were trying to match every three they hit and rushing it on the other end and missing. Then then they started making adjustments, and this is where I think the Celtics can win the series. This is the key. Yes, Golden State has Draymond and guys like Kevon Looney to on the offensive boards, but they don't have one key thing. And I believe, and I tweeted about it during Game One. I believe he is one of the most undervalued and underrated players possibly ever. He he could go down in NBA history by the time he's done as possibly the most under one of the most underrated and undervalued players of all time and that is Marcus Smart. 
Marcus Smart brings an energy and a physicality on defense that I don't think Golden State has. They have Draymond, who 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 is a modern day Dennis Rodman. I will give him that. They have Draymond, they have Looney, they have some size, some physicality, but for the most part, Golden State is a finesse team. The Celtics need to be physical. The Celtics need to be aggressive. And with and as long as their their defensive three are on the court, and that is Robert Williams, Marcus Smart, and Al Horford, they can do that. It seemed to me every time the the Warriors built a lead, because there were a couple of times where the Warriors built a lead and then the Celtics would make adjustments and and close the gap and the and the Warriors would build it out again. Every time it seemed that the Warriors were building it out was when Robert Williams, Marcus Smart, and Al Horford were not on the floor together or at all. Um, and that was when Devin White, Jason Tatum, and Peyton Pritchard were launching threes and trying to match what Golden State was doing, which, again, you're not going to do. Marcus Smart, at only 28 years old, is a two-time Hustle Award winner, three-time defensive NBA defensive first team, 2022 Defensive Player of the Year. He is a vocal leader. He brings physicality. As, as, as we saw in a timeout during Game 1, he, he was rallying the whole team, which I believe started what ended up being an incredible fourth quarter for the Celtics where they outscored the Warriors significantly to take that game. Marcus Smart brings a lot to the floor that can't necessarily be quantified on any stat sheet. And what I liked this year, and I, and I want to give credit to, to uh, Celtics, the Celtics coach for, for coming in in his first year and naming, naming Marcus Smart the starting point guard. Because for Marcus Smart's career, for the most part, He's he started some games here and there, but he's also come off the bench a lot. Um, he's he's had inconsistent uh, roles on his team, and I think it's because in the past several years, as long as he's been there, Boston has had a lot of backcourt traffic with first Rajon Rondo, Kyrie Irving, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier, Kimba Walker. There's been a lot of of traffic in the backcourt for Boston. So when Marcus Smart did start, it was at shooting guard or or it was sporadic coming off the bench. But this year he started as their point guard and he won defensive player of the year. And I for one like liked seeing him in there every day and I think along with the coaching, along with the continued ascendance of Jason Tatum, that's that that's what brought the Celtics where they are because they've been a playoff team all pretty consistently uh, in the last several years, but they but they haven't made that step. But as you see by their run this year, what was that graphic? They've beat every team that beat them in the last three years during this run. 
uh, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and Miami. So I think you're seeing a new Celtics team. And I, and I believe a large portion of that is someone who I think is one of the most under, underrated players, maybe in NBA history, Marcus Smart, for what he brings defensively, physically, emotionally, because he's a vocal leader, what he brings to the floor makes a difference. And that, I believe, is how Boston is going to win this series, if they win the series, is by being physical, is by going after the Finesse Warriors players. Tire them out. Or let them get themselves out, because we saw Steph Curry tweak his ankle on a, on a shot where no one touched him. Let them get themselves out. Don't try to play their game. You're not going to win. Play yours. Be physical. Play defense. Robert Williams is a great defender. Al Horford is a disruptor. But Marcus Smart is Defensive Player of the Year. Follow his lead. Be physical. Play defense. Bring home the championship. Last thing I want to talk about is is something that's been a little curious to me. And I've mentioned in... in on previous podcasts that we've seen now where if, if a team is constructed, if, if a team has big names, but is constructed poorly, the coach gets the blame. Or if a team has big names and those names don't perform, the coach gets the blame. And earlier this week, after, after a 22-29 and 29 start to the season, the Philadelphia Phillies fired their coach, Joe Girardi. Which, Joe Girardi's had a couple of jobs here and there since, since being let go from the Yankees, but let's not forget that Joe Girardi won a World Series with the Yankees. Now, what I don't agree with here is the timing of... The firing, mid-season firings never work out, and you could and you could argue if 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 you look at the NLE standings right now, at twenty-two and twenty-nine, the Phillies were third in the East at the time. I think they've won one game since Girardi got fired, but that's anyway. At twenty-two and twenty-nine, the Phillies were third in the NL East. 11 games behind the Mets. And so you could look at that and be like, well, yeah, they might as well make a move. They're not going to they're not going to win. They're not going to catch the Mets. They're not going to whatever. But the issue is, yes, they're 11 they're 11 games back. But I don't think they had reason to give up right now. It's because in the COVID shortened 2020 season, the Phillies finished 28-32. and 32. They had bullpen problems, or otherwise they would have been a lot better. Last year, they finished 82-80, and 80, uh, second in the East, missed the wild card. So, the Phillies aren't a bad team. But, my issue with firing a coach 51 games into the season, in a situation like this, is, for the past four years the Atlanta Braves have won the NL East. 
I believe in one of those cases, they, they were chasing the Phillies. But that was before Joe Girardi. Um, but for the most part, every single one of those years, and this year, so for the past five years, for the four years in a row the Braves won the division, and now this year, we've started the year talking about the Mets. Talking about Jacob deGrom, talking about Noah Syndergaard before he was before he signed elsewhere, talking about Pete Alonso, talking about Francisco Lindor, and talking about them as the as the choice to win the division. And for the most part, every single year, they're in it to a point until they're not. Last year, in Atlanta's World Series champion year, in what was a down year for the NL East, proof, the Phillies finished 82-80 and 80 and finished second behind the Braves, who only had 88 wins, which was which was by far the lowest total of any playoff team. In, in, in what was a down year for the NL East, the Mets led the whole season until they didn't, until the Braves caught them. And the Braves caught them because they fell apart, because injuries caught up with them, because they started slumping, whatever you want to call it. This is something that happens with the Mets every year. They lose a pitcher or two. They have a, a clutch player get hurt or struggle. Or Francisco Lindor had a rough beginning to his Mets career. We've seen it happen. We've, we've called it, oh, the Mets are going to met. They're going to fall apart. It remains to be seen if that's going to happen again this year. But we're only 50-plus games in. There's 100 games left. And yes, you're 11 games back. But you're 11 games back to an injury-prone team. You're 11 games back to a team that slumps. You're 11 games back to a team whose fan base is quick to turn on them if things don't go their way. As we saw Francisco Lindor getting booed pretty quickly in his first year with the Mets. This is not a team that we should wrap up the division and hand, hand to them 50 games in. This team has proven that they have the ability to fall apart. This team has proven they've had the ability, I should say franchise because this team's different. This franchise has proven their inability to, to close. This team has proven their injury history. So far, so good. But that's just so far. Not only that, but the Phillies watched as the Braves, who were out of it at the All-Star break, made moves at the deadline that changed everything. That, that, that overtook the Mets and the Phillies. That made a deep playoff run. That won a World Series. The Phillies had a front row seat to that. And yet, they seem very quick to give up on this season. Despite the star power that they have. Bryce Harper, Aaron Nola, Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos. 
That's not a bad team at all. Things just haven't rolled your way. The Mets have been tough. You've had a tough schedule. You've had bullpen problems. That happens to every team, every year. It's a long season. You have 110 games left, and you're firing a manager with proven success when you had trouble before him because ever since Bryce Harper showed up in, what was it, 2018, you've, you've and your GM was quoted once as saying, we're going to spend stupid money in the offseason. He did that. He's not afraid to spend. And yet you found yourself out of the playoffs every single season since Bryce Harper's arrival, and I don't think they've made the playoffs in 10 years. So how is that Girardi's fault? More specifically, in the last few years, how is it Girardi's fault that before he even got there, teams that included Bryce Harper and Aaron Nola and JT Real Muto missed the playoffs? That happened before 2020. That happened before Girardi got there. So how is it his fault that the same thing is happening? I don't agree with with kicking Girardi out of the nest 51 games in when this is what we've seen from, from the Phillies every year, whether Girardi was there or not. On top of that, yes, they're 11 games back of the Mets, but so is everyone. The other four teams in that division are separated by seven and a half games from second, the Braves, to, to fourth, the Nationals. Or sorry, second to fifth. The rest of the teams in the division are separated by seven and a half games. Which means second in that division, if the Mets say stay strong, is up for grabs. And what does being second in your division put you in position for if it goes well? The wild card. So why are we giving up on Joe Girardi with a roster that he with with a roster with a roster like that in a division where the where where the last four teams are separated by seven and a half games in a division led by a team that's known for collapse and injury issues? Why is a why is Joe Girardi getting getting the blame? Mid-season managerial changes, coach changes, rarely work. And I don't see it working now. And I, th- I think the Phillies had a chance to turn it around because it's a long season. Before they made a change. Because it's like having two quarterbacks. It's like having your quarterbacks s- split, split snaps. On paper, it might be interesting. On the field, it never works. Chemistry-wise, it never works. It'll remain to be seen what happens with the Phillies and the rest of the NL East. But I believe if the Mets collapse for the fifth year in a row and the Phillies aren't there to scoop it up, they'll, they'll look back on the firing of Joe Girardi as premature. That's all I have for you today on Empire Sports Talk. I am your host, Roman Gennaro. See you next time.